This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Okay, good morning everyone. It's really wonderful to be here once again and I really hope that you've been having a good week, especially since we've been able to open up more and more. Now today we're going to be looking at Psalm 40. And uh, it's really helpful if we are indeed really concentrating on God's word and asking God to help us, uh, not just to give us head knowledge, but to help us in our hearts and our understanding and our passion and our desire to know him better. So let's go to God in prayer. Our dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly want to thank you for you are God who is not silent to us. And even though we may be physically distant, Yet you are able to speak to us and as a church uh, because we are all online. And dear Father, we just pray that as we look at your word today, that you will help us to really take to heart uh, the great promises which are contained in Psalm chapter 40. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, we're going to start off today uh, with a poll. Okay, so the poll is, what is the biggest problems confronting humanity today. So it's multiple choice. You can pick more than one. Uh, what are the biggest problems which are confronting humanity today? Okay, so just uh, quickly fill out what you think are the biggest problems. Okay, there are many to choose from. So uh, yeah, you, you can obviously uh, have your pick of uh, so many problems you have in the world today. Okay, I'll close the polling very soon. So if you haven't uh, voted and you want to vote, uh, please get your vote in. Okay, I'll close it now. Okay, we're going to uh, actually see that a bit later. So um, uh, let's keep that in mind and uh, we will address what your answers are a bit later. So we're going to look at the passage right now. And the passage, uh, we're going to look at Psalm chapter 40, which was read to us by Si Hui. So Psalm 40 is actually written by David and it's of David. And he says here, right at the very beginning, right at the very start, that he waited patiently for the Lord. Now, apparently, uh, in the first translations of the Bible uh, and the, the Latin translations, the title of this psalm was actually expecting expectantly. And I think those two ideas uh, really come together in this word, waited patiently. So David here was patiently waiting for God. He was expecting expectantly. Uh, to hear from God. So he was waiting in faith for God. And it seems as if he was in a really, really bad situation. Because as you can see here, he seemed to be in this slimy pit. Uh, he was in the mud and the mire. So these pictures are a picture of, I guess, being sucked into this life and death situation. So if you can imagine it, uh, imagine where someone has fallen into something like uh, quicksand. Okay, so you know quicksand is where you're sucked into this muddy pit. And uh, you know, it's really dangerous. And the funny thing is actually when you are in quicksand, uh, I read somewhere that you can't actually get out yourself. So this is Bear Grylls, you know, if you, if you ever watch Bear Grylls, you know, he's a very famous guy who gets himself all these dangerous situations. So once you get into quicksand, you can't save yourself. Like it just pulls you in and it sucks you in until it kills you. So here's uh, David, he's in this terrible situation, and yet he waits patiently for God. And here in the psalm, we see that God acts, right? God lifts him out 
of the slimy pit. He set his feet on a rock and he gave him a new or a firm place to stand. He put a new song in David's mouth, a hymn of praise to God. And what a wonderful picture that truly is. Uh, because what we see here is that David, going from this place where he's being sucked into this quicksand where he's being pulled under, uh, what actually happens now is that God takes him and puts him in a very safe place, in a place of stability, a place where he won't be pulled down anymore. And that's what this first section is about. It's a section where David trusts God. He waits patiently. He expects God answers prayer. God answers prayer, takes him up from this terrible place and brings him up and brings him to a place of safety. So if I were to summarize, this first section is actually very, very straightforward. It's actually where uh, David trusted God and God put him in this firm rock, or firm place, right? Okay, so you can see the firm rock there. He puts him on this firm rock. But then the passage then goes on where David turns his attention from himself to the many people, the ones who fear God, the ones who actually are the people of God together with David. So in verse 3b, uh, it goes on, uh, it says, Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in Him. A blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done for us, the things you plan for us. None can compare with them. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, there would be too many to declare. Now, here we see uh, that the action, in a sense, goes from David to many people, right? The word that keeps being repeated here, if you notice, is this word, many, right? Many will see and fear the Lord, and they will put their trust in Him. So the first thing that David wants to address here is, he says, look, as many people see what God has done in his life, so many people will turn to God and fear and trust God. But he wants to address the wrong sort of trust. He says, these people who fear and trust God must not trust in the proud. Do not look to the proud, he says, to those who turn aside to false gods. So it's almost like there's a, there's a tension, there's a competition where you trust God, but if you trust God, then you cannot trust the proud or turn aside to the false. There's no in-between. They're mutually exclusive. You either trust God alone, the Lord God, L-O-R-D Yahweh, or you trust the proud and the false gods. Now, in the history of Israel, God's people, the many people here, have this overwhelming temptation to trust in the proud. The proud are like, the self-sufficient, uh, the self-reliant, those who are independent of God, they think they don't need God. And in Israel's history, uh, many times uh, God's people, the many, would rather than trust in God, trust in the proud of the world, those who uh, rely on themselves, who have no need for God. Now, one of the earliest examples of this would be in Israel's history. 
So right at the very beginning, all through the history of Israel, Israel always had this temptation to trust in Egypt. Because you see, Israel and Judah were very small. So they always looked back to Egypt as, as a place where maybe they could find allies or find support. Uh, you see that right even when God had saved them from slavery in Egypt. So as they were leaving Egypt and they could see God's miracles, God's plagues and God's uh, opening of the Red Sea for them in the past, they still said, they still wouldn't trust God. They said, you know, let us go back to Egypt. It's better to serve Egypt than to die, right? So again, they were trusting in the proud because Egypt was very proud and Egypt never had need for Yahweh God. And so God's people were often tempted in this way. Again, in 2 Kings, uh, when they were challenged by the king of Assyria, uh, instead of turning to the Lord God Yahweh, they found their confidence and their strength on Pharaoh in Egypt. Now, I think that's one of the historical situations which David is talking about here. He says, why do you want to trust in the proud, in the false idols of this world? Because they will not be able to save you. It is God who is able to save you. But it's not just the temptation to trust in the proud nations. Even the book of Psalms, we see that Israel, God's people, had a temptation to envy and trust or rely on the proud people, right? So here in this psalm, in Psalm 73, the psalmist here here says he envied the, envied the arrogant and the prosperity of the wicked. But David says that that is a grave, grave mistake because the proud are false idols. They cannot save, they cannot help, they cannot deliver. Now, I want you to notice the word which keeps being repeated in this section. It is the word many, right? Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust on Him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Why? Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done for us, things you planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be? Too many to declare. So here David is saying, look, as I have trusted God, so God has lifted me out of the quicksand and put me on the solid rock. And here, as you trust God, trust God because God has done many, many wonderful things for us. Many, many wonderful things which have saved us and pulled us out of the quicksand, so to speak, as a nation. And in fact, if you were to put them all together, all the things in the past and all the things that he planned to do for us in the future, there would be too many to declare. And that's true because up to this point, uh, what had happened was God had done many things for his people. He brought them out of Egypt. He brought these plagues, miraculous plagues on Egypt to free them from slavery. He brought them through the Red Sea, he brought them, oh sorry, he defeated Pharaoh, he brought them through to the promised land, he helped David defeat Goliath and the Philistines, and so he's saying, look, it doesn't end there because God plans to do even more for you. 
So if the first section was about how David trusted God and God put him on the firm rock, then the second section really is about how David is saying to the people, right, that as David trusted God and put him on the firm rock, so many will trust God because of the many wonders God has done, because of the many wonders God has planned for God's people. Now, now that we've come to David trusting God, the many trusting God, then we come to the next section where David addresses this issue of sacrifices compared to obedience. So in verse 6 it says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Right? You've opened your ears so that I'm willing to do your will, so to speak. Burn offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am, I've come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. So what you see here is like there's this two ways in which uh, people might have mistakenly thought were ways of going to God. Or not mistakenly thought. There are two ways in which people chose to go uh, to God and trusting God. So the mistaken way was this idea of external religion where people would just do offerings and sacrifices, right? burn offerings and sin offerings. So they would just do the religious things, the external things, the ritual things. But David recognized actually what God really wanted was obedience. right? He wanted people, he wanted himself to have ears which are open to God's will, to obedience to God. Uh, he wanted to desire to do God's will and to have God's law within his heart. Now, as we look at this passage, I can't help but think that David had his predecessor in mind uh, because King Saul was a person who did the outward thing, the ritual things, the sacrifice things, but actually internally he did not want to obey God. And David is sort of saying, this is the, the wrong way of approaching God. This is the wrong way of fearing God. This is the wrong way indeed of trusting God. God wants obedience, not external religion and ritual and sacrifice. So I'm going to show you a short video now. And this is all for all the kids, right? When Saul became king of Israel, he built an army. One day, Saul took a group of soldiers with him into the hills. Saul's son, Jonathan, took another group of soldiers to a nearby city. Jonathan and his army ran into a group of Philistines. The Philistines were enemies of Israel. They did not get along with God's people. Jonathan and his army fought with some of the Philistines, and the soldiers destroyed one of the Philistines' army camps. The Philistines were mad. They were ready to go to war against the Israelites. The Israelites were afraid. The Philistines had more soldiers, more chariots, and more horses than the Israelites. Surely they would win. So some of the Israelites hid in caves. King Saul did not know what to do. Maybe if he made a sacrifice to God, then God would help them. But Saul was not allowed to make sacrifices. Only Samuel was supposed to do that. 
Saul waited and waited for Samuel to come. He waited for seven days, but Samuel did not come. So Saul made the sacrifice himself. Then Samuel came. Saul, what are you doing? Samuel asked. You are not here, and the soldiers started to leave. I asked God for help to fight the Philistines, Saul said. You have done the wrong thing by offering the sacrifice, Samuel said. You will not be king for very long. God is going to find someone else to be king, someone who obeys him. Later, God spoke to Samuel. God wanted Saul to fight the Amalekites. God said that when the Israelites won the battle, they should destroy everything, even the animals. So the Israelites fought the Amalekites, and they won the battle. But Saul did not do what God wanted him to do. He kept the best cattle, sheep, and animals. The army only destroyed the things nobody wanted. God said to Samuel, If Saul doesn't obey me, I do not want him to be king. Samuel told Saul that God was angry with him. Saul was sad. He wanted to be king, but God was going to give Israel a new king, a king who obeyed God. Okay, so uh, I hope that uh, you could watch that properly on your video and you hear the sound. But what happened there at King Saul was that Saul sought to have a relationship with God just based on sacrifices and doing external things. But what was God looking for? God wanted a king who would obey. And that's what David sought to do in his own life. He knew that God wasn't interested so much on externals and the rituals and religion. He wanted internal obedience. He wanted a heart which desired to do God's will. Now, as we come to the end of this section then, it's very, very interesting. Because as we come to the end, it comes at the end of a section of great confidence, right? Great confidence. But as we look to the next section, we see that the next section is almost like a completely different psalm to the passage that we just read. So if you look at me now, to verse 11 onwards, to verse 11 onwards. Notice the change in the mood, right? Notice the change in how David expresses himself. So he says here, Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me. And I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. And my heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. May all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. Now, don't you think this is really strange? It's almost as if, like, David is, like, schizophrenic, right? Because... From verse 1 to 10, you know, it's like I, I, I waited patiently for the God, for God. I was expecting expectantly for God. God took me out of the quicksand and put me on the solid ground. Uh, everybody, let's trust God and uh, let's desire to do His will. And suddenly here in verse 11 onwards, it's almost as if he's back in the quicksand, right? It's like 
my troubles without number surround me, he says. Sins, right, have overtaken me. Uh, they are more than the hairs of my head. Now, what seems to be happening here? Uh, it seems to be moving from a mood of trusting and expectancy and faith to one of a cry of helplessness, a cry of doubt almost, uh, an urgent appeal to God. Now, the way I understand it and the way I read it is the key to understanding this passage is that David here seems to have a problem as it seems to, as I've underlined here with his sins. So because of his sins, he seems to have many, many problems now, many troubles. And because of these sins, it seems as if God is unwilling or he feels that God is unable to rescue him and save him. Sin seems to be separating him from God as Savior, Helper, and Deliverer. Now, what seems to be really profound and deep is he's just said in the earlier verses that he desires to do God's will. Uh, God has given him an ear to hear what God wants him to do. He has his law in his heart. But David seems to get this profound reflection or realization in verse 11 onwards, that even though he desires to want to do God's will, and he has God's law in his heart, but yet he realizes that he sins and he sins and he sins and he sins and he sins. It's almost as if he says, like, I sin so much that is more than the hair on my head. Now, I want to ask you uh, just a quick question here. Uh, how many hairs do you think uh, people have on their head? Okay, so uh, this is just a, a quick polling question. So think about it. How many hairs does the average person have on their head? Okay, just think about it for a second. You can answer that quickly. 100, 1,000, 10,000, 100,000, 1 million. I think 1 million, you have to have a pretty big head. Lah. Anyway, okay. Okay, uh, how many hairs are there on the average person's head? Okay, I'll end the polling now. All right. So, uh, actually, that's a, that's the right answer. The right answer is 100,000. That's a lot of uh, hair on the average person's head, right? But that's what David seems to be saying, maybe not literally, but he's saying that, that at the very heart of it, uh, he, he, he's overwhelmed by his realization of the amount of sin that he has, that his sins are more than the hairs of his head. He's got more than 100,000 sins in his life. And so it seems that David realizes that even though in verse 1 to 10, that he desires God, he chooses to want to uh, have God's law in his heart, but yet, try as he might, try as hard as he can, he is unable to, to stop sinning in his life. And that's why as we go on, he actually says uh, at, the, at the end here, but as for me, he says, I am poor and needy. Now, that's a really funny thing to say, right? Because as the king, how can you be poor? I mean, David is like one of the richest guys in his, 
his time will be like Jeff Bezos or Mark Zuckerberg saying, I'm poor and needy, right? David was not poor and needy in a physical sense. But David, in his deep reflection of himself, recognizes he's poor and needy in a spiritual sense. He's poor and needy in a godliness sense, in a holiness sense, because he is overwhelmingly aware of his sins. And therefore, when he calls to God, you are my help and you are my deliverer, what is he actually asking God for help and delivery from? He's not asking God for help and delivery in terms of material wealth. He's asking for help and delivery in terms of spiritual godliness, holiness, in terms of his sin problem. And I think that as we look at this passage, uh, he's inviting us to also recognize that if David, King David, the man after God's heart, is such a grave sinner in his own eyes, then for us as we read chapter 40 of Psalm, then surely we too are also grave sinners just like David. So I want to ask you another poll question. So as we look at this passage, uh, how do we uh, view our our own uh, feelings of our own sin? Okay, so this is the last question for today. How would you describe your own sin situation? Uh, do you think you're pretty okay? Do you think you're so-so? Uh, do you think you're not so good? Or are you really poor and needy? Okay, great. Thanks very much for voting. If you can keep going on, okay, up to 70, I'll stop. 70%. Okay. So I think this is a very good thing that, uh, I wanna, I want to applaud all of you for voting correctly. Because I think that we live in a world today, uh, which actually struggles with this idea of sin. Uh, I was reading this article where it says that, you know, in the world that we live in, sin, guilt, shame, uh, all these concepts have all been thrown out the window, right? So if you feel sinful, if you feel guilty, if you feel shame, uh, then it's a psychological condition, right? So it's a mental illness. You shouldn't be feeling these feelings. Um, so I remember uh, someone was telling me about a husband who was cheating on his wife, and then the psychologist said to this person, oh, Actually, your wife should feel sorry for you, you know, because you have a, a, an addiction problem. Uh, we think of sin and shame and guilt in terms of a social condition. Uh, you know, if you feel sinful or you feel shame or guilt, it's because uh, the oppressive judgmental structures of society have made you feel this way. So actually the problem is with society rather than yourself. But in Psalm chapter 40, David reflects on his own condition and he freely admits to God, my sin is like the hairs of my head and this is why I have all these problems. In the same way, when we reflect on ourselves, we also see that we are sinful like David. And that's why we, together with David, at the very end of the psalm, should be crying out to God, God, we are poor. God, we are needy. We need your help. We need a deliverer to deliver us from this sin situation because this sin situation is affecting our relationship with you. And with this sin, we, we have all these problems and we are unable to get the saving help that we need from you. And that's why uh, in this passage, it's so wonderful 
that we are able to then turn to the fulfillment of this passage, uh, which is seen in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, uh, verse 3 to 10. Okay, so if you look at this passage, uh, you'll notice, hey, uh, there is Psalm chapter 40, which is quoted. It says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I've come to do your will, my God. First, he said, Sin offerings. So sorry, sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings, sin offerings you did not desire nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am, I've come to do your will. He set aside the first to establish the second, and by that will, you, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So what we see here is that actually uh, this psalm was fulfilled in Jesus Because through the sacrifice of Jesus' body, all of us have been made holy. The sin problem has been dealt with by Jesus. We cried out to God, David cried out to God for help, for deliverance from the sin problem. And God sent Jesus to deal with that problem once and for all. Now it's really amazing and and, and profound, isn't it? Because when David wrote Psalm 40, uh, as he wrote Psalm 40, David desired to do God's will, but David instead became trapped in the quicksand of sin. But yet, when David wrote Psalm 40, he was actually looking forward to Jesus, where Jesus would actually fulfill Psalm 40, and instead of being trapped in the quicksand of sin, Jesus himself would release us from the quicksand of sin, and we would be made holy. So, if you think about it, uh, if we look at this uh, picture behind me again, the virtual picture, it's almost as if David, when he tries to obey God, he keeps sitting and sitting and sitting. He, he's falling further and further into the quicksand of sin. And so are we. We are falling further and further into the quicksand of sin. But Jesus, he's the one who truly obeys. And through the cross, he delivers us onto this solid rock, the solid safe ground where we are safe from sin. Now, in conclusion, I think that's wonderful news for us, isn't it? So I want to share with you the results of the first poll. And uh, in the the results of the first poll, uh, many of you said that sin was the biggest problem of this world. But but all these other problems were also real for all of us, right? Poverty, war, climate change, inequality, discrimination, overpopulation, corruption, financial crisis, global pandemic, injustice. Now, the Bible actually tells us that sin is the problem because sin is the source and the cause of all these problems. If you think about it, uh, all through the whole of history, we have been, humanity, I mean, have been trying to solve these problems. But yet, year after year, century after century, we're still living with these same problems. Uh, we talk about financial crisis. There was the credit crisis of 1772, the Great Depression of 1928, the OPEC oil crisis of 1973, the Asian economic crisis of 1997, the financial crisis of 2008. Uh, we have history of wars. We have history of disease. And what the Bible is really telling us is that we cannot solve these problems ourselves. We turn to the proud. We turn to the people who live 
without God. But these are false idols. They cannot solve these problems. The only solution can be found in the person of God himself. And the only way we can have a relationship with that person is through Jesus Christ. And what a wonderful thing it is. Because as we become aware of the death of our sin and the separation that it splits between ourselves and God, all the more it pushes us to the cross. So we live in a world which is very confused. Uh, we live in a world where many people think that if I turn to Jesus, I will have like a life insurance when I die. Or when I turn to Jesus, he will make me very rich or healthy. Or if I turn to Jesus, uh, I will be very fulfilled and find meaning in life. But actually, as we see in Psalm 40, uh, Jesus doesn't come uh, to fulfill those needs. Jesus comes to set us free from the problem of sin. And as we are free from the problem of sin, then we can turn to God as our rescuer. He is the one who will deal with our problems and the biggest problems that we face in this whole world for all of history. So I hope that Psalm 14 has been a great encouragement to you that has opened your eyes to our own sinfulness and opened our eyes to the greatness of Jesus saving us from the pit and the quicksand of sin so that as we have a relationship with this wonderful God who does these wonders, we can have confidence that the wonders that he has prepared for us means that all these problems that we face in this world will be solved by God through Jesus. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we thank you so much that you truly have saved us. We confess to you that our sins are more than the hairs of our head. Dear Father, as David recognized, he needed a helper, he needed a deliverer from the quicksand of sin. And so, dear Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that as we too are aware of our sin, we will all the more run to Jesus. And through Jesus, we may know you as our Savior God. And we know the wonders that you have done, and we know the wonders that you plan to do. We know that through your mighty power, you will recreate this world. And all the problems that we feel and face so acutely today, financial crisis, the threat of war, disease, all these things will be solved through your power and your will. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.